0: Thanks for you very much for reading. Please to keep your Bibles open there on page 1117 as we come to the end of this current sermon series in the book of Acts. And I want to start with like a Bible trivia question. What percentage of church leaders, of leaders in the Bible, finish well? Okay, what percentage of leaders in the Bible finish well? Turn to a neighbor, just, you know, make a guess, share it with them. What percentage of the leaders in the Bible finish well? Okay? Come back together. The answer is a quarter. Uh, Dr. Robert Clinton, he's professor of leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary, spent most of his career studying leadership in the Bible, 500 leaders in the Bible, 100 of them with information on their lives, 49 of them with information on how they finished, only 13 finished well. 26%. Now, you might say that's a small sample size. Um, He also studied over 1,200 historical and contemporary leaders and found a similar result. Approximately 30% of all leaders, um, that is all it was, who finished um, well. Now look, that's not a good statistic is it, it's a very sobering statistic, I'm a church leader, I mean, it's been very challenging preparing this passage um, this week and it perhaps it helps to explain a little bit why there is such a leadership crisis in the world at the moment and why we're seeing many uh, church leaders, not just in this country but across the world who are abusing their power and authority, who are getting caught up in sexual misconduct, who are misusing finances or who are letting their pride and ego get in the way. And so the question we may well have, and certainly the question that this passage answers, is what does good leadership look like? What does trustworthy leadership look like? Really important question for us this morning. Most of the book of Acts is written to explain how the gospel reached new people groups as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. But here in chapter 20, this particular passage of chapter 20, did you notice it is focused exclusively on a Christian audience, unique in Acts? As Paul defends his ministry from some of the smears that he's received in chapter 19, about his life and ministry, and also as he passes on the baton of ministry to the Ephesian elders, in verses 28 to 38. And so Paul is saying, look, this is what good, trustworthy leadership looks like. Here is a benchmark to know when good leadership is actually slipping and going sour. This is how you can know if I am going sour. But perhaps most importantly, given we are all involved in ministry in some shape or form, here is the part each of us can play in making sure we have a growing, vibrant, healthy church family and community here at ISJ. So that's where we're going. Three things for us to see. Paul's life and ministry in verses 17 to 21. Paul's reliance on the Spirit in verses 22 to 27. And then Paul's example of the shepherd in verses 28 to 38. First then. Paul's life and ministry in verses 17 to 21. Notice how Paul begins the defense of his ministry in verse 17, if you just glance down there. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. You want to know that you can trust me then look at my life. Now that Boris Johnson has gone as Prime Minister, many people are writing about his downfall and, and what caused it. It's been interesting reading some of the articles. No one single issue people are suggesting, but many are saying the predominant one was a lack of integrity and the disconnect between what he said and what he did. And Paul is saying here, look, look at my life. See if there's any disconnect between what I said and what I did. Paul is a man of integrity. Paul is a man who practiced what he preached. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Paul did not serve himself. He served the Lord Jesus. He served with great humility because he knew what a sinner he was before a holy God. He's only a Christian by the grace of God, and he is no better than anyone else. Here is Paul following in the footsteps of his master, Jesus, who took the nature of a servant, who humbled himself to the point of death, who wept over Jerusalem, as the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. Paul didn't just preach Christ, he lived Christ. Christ flowed out of him in this real transformed living relationship. You want to trust me? Look at my life. See how Christ-like it is. If you are new to the church family, wondering whether you can trust me um, as a church leader, especially with some of the scandals that have befallen the wider church, one thing that you can do is check out my life. I.e., not just listen to what I'm saying now up front, right, from the pulpit, but actually look in my life around and see, do these two things match up? Am I practicing what I'm preaching? What I'm saying here, is it lived out? When you notice how I am with my wife Joe or with my five kids, though I interact with you, the more you see of Christ, the more you can trust me. If you don't see it, don't trust me. Of course, I'm not going to be perfectly like Christ. No one is. But when I fall, when I try, you know, say the wrong thing, if I upset you, do you see there a heart of humility that's quick to say, look, I'm sorry about that. Please forgive me. And you're seeing the gospel being modeled in that way. Christ-likeness is the key marker of a trustworthy church leader. And it's a key marker, by the way, of a trustworthy church member too. Can I ask, are you growing in Christ-likeness? Is it a daily aim for you to become more like Jesus? Are you serving the Lord? Are you growing in humility? Do you ever shed tears over your own sin or the sin of others? Here is a call for us to be people of integrity. Let's pray that before God. Would you make us people of integrity? When people look at our lives, they don't see a disconnect between what we say about Jesus and how we're living for him. Let's pray that as people look at our lives, they might say, yes, I can see the difference Jesus makes in the way they're responding to that difficult work situation, in the way they didn't react to that person shouting, in the way they just seem to have an inner peace right now given all the global uncertainty around us at the moment. Paul continues in verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. Paul longs for people to grow to maturity in Christ, whether he's teaching them publicly, whether he's teaching them intimately, personally, from house to house, whatever it takes for people to grow to maturity in Jesus. He longs for it. One of the reasons we encourage all church members here at ISJ not just to commit to Sundays but also to commit to inspire groups on Wednesdays is precisely because we want to see this growth in maturity in Jesus Christ. Not just to receive the publicly preached word on Sunday as vital as that is but also to receive the more personal intimate teaching in groups together in community where we can spur each other on and apply the word on Sunday deeply, more deeply, to our hearts and lives. If you are not part of an Inspire Group, please could I recommend that you reconsider that. And if you can't make Wednesdays, chat to me. Let's find another way that you can get that personal, intimate teaching, not just the public teaching, so that we all together can grow to maturity in Jesus Christ. And what is this ministry exactly? Verse 21... I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, i.e. everyone, this is a message for everyone, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. If you want to know that you can trust me as a church leader, don't just look at my life, look at my teaching. Am I preaching repentance? Am I calling people to turn to God in repentance? Am I calling people to put their faith in Jesus Christ? And if I am not, you should speak to me about it. And if I'm not going to listen to you, speak to one of the church wardens. This church will stand or fall on whether we are teaching this central message about Jesus Christ. Repent and put your faith in him. And what a message this is that we have to believe in, that we have to share. Repentance, I know that can sound like quite a harsh religious word. Repentance is just basically saying that there's always a way back to God. No matter how far you are running from him, and maybe you've done that for years, no matter how much you fall into sin, no matter how lost you find yourself to be, the moment you turn back, that's what repentance means, like turn around, you confess it, the Lord is there waiting for you, arms wide open, to welcome you back, to forgive your sin. Repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to perform anymore. Religious performance, moral performance, it doesn't work. Jesus Christ has done it all. He's lived the perfect life we fail to live. He's died the sacrificial death we deserve for us. He has risen and now promises to all who put their faith in him, forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Restored relationship with God now and for eternity. The past dealt with, the future secure, the very meaning of life now. Jesus is such good news. Jesus is the only hope of the world. Let's make sure that as a church we are all sharing this message with our friends, our family, our colleagues This is what it means to be a growing, healthy, vibrant church, Paul's life and ministry. Secondly, in verses 22 to 27, we see Paul's reliance on the Spirit because Paul is not alone in all this. The Spirit is with him. Have a look at verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit. Is that such a strong word, compelled by the Spirit? I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Do you see how in tune Paul is with the Spirit of God at work in his life, compelling him, warning him? And I hope this is an encouragement to you, especially those of us who feel weak in the Christian life. You know, we've just talked about serving the Lord, growing in humility calling people to repentance and faith. That is not easy to do. That is hard. Many of us find that difficult. We are not alone. God the Spirit is with us. The all-powerful God, of—it's of he is one of the greatest privileges and blessings. This side of the new creation as we follow Jesus Christ to have the Spirit with us, guiding us, directing us, assuring us of God's love, bearing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Are you compelled by him? Are you in tune with him? I that we would be a church that is as in tune with the spirit as possible. Attentive to his voice in scripture, reliant on him in prayer, following his lead. And did you notice what a spirit-filled life and ministry looks like in verse 22? It looks like uncertainty, because Paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. A load more people are going to get saved and more church is going to get planted. Am I going to get killed? Don't know. What he does know, the Spirit warns him, is he's going to be facing prisons and hardships. Welcome to the spirit-filled life. I don't know if you've ever been told to expect the Christian life to be one of plain sailing, financial prosperity, marriage, family, a good life. Look, it can be that. Seen that with the Hintons. It can also be one of poverty, singleness, no children, prison and hardships, just like Paul, and just as spirit-filled. I know many people today are anxious about their futures, what job to do, for how long, who to marry, when by. Perhaps you think that being a Christian, having the Spirit, means you should have certainty about these things. Clarity. Paul doesn't. Doesn't know what's going to face him when he, when he gets to Jerusalem. And Paul's life is just as Spirit filled. And so again, please take comfort from these verses. Please take encouragement if you are feeling under the cosh at the moment in your Christian walk, if you're feeling tired in the Christian walk, if you're facing hardship, if you're uncertain about your future, you are not alone. The Spirit is with you and he knows exactly what he's doing in your life. He has you just where he wants you and you can trust him with it be in tune with him rely on him in prayer when we talk to each other after the service by all means let's share our lives with each other that's a wonderful thing to do but why not also offer to pray for each other and be in tune with the spirit as you talk about these things together Whenever someone asks you for advice, by all means offer it. The Lord wants us to share our wisdom with each other. But the best advice comes from the Spirit himself. Why don't we pray for his guidance? Well, just as we go about our daily activities, it is so easy, if you're anything like me, to crack on in your own strength, forget that we need the Lord, or particularly think that he doesn't really care about mundane tasks. He cares about it all. And he is with you through it all. Whatever you're facing, whatever's coming up, and we desperately need him. So let's get in tune with him, rely on him in prayer, follow his lead. And please keep me accountable on this. If you see me developing a pattern of prayerlessness, If you see me just cracking on in ministry, if you hear me sharing just my own wisdom in pastoral situations rather than pointing you to the Lord's wisdom, if you see me only depending on my own ingenuity or pastoral experience rather than depending on the Lord in prayer, you know what to do, speak to me, speak to the warden. Mark, should we pray about this? That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Let's pray. Paul's reliance on the spirit. A trustworthy leader. Churches that are growing, vibrant, prosperous. This is how. Thirdly and finally, Paul's example of the shepherd in verses 28 to 38. Now, Paul here is addressing primarily church leaders, right? So the primary application has to be there. Nevertheless, did we all notice the imagery Paul uses here of church leadership being like a shepherd protecting sheep from wolves? This is a very Powerful, evocative image. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. That's how a church family is described, a flock of sheep. Verse 28, again, be shepherds, leaders of the church, be shepherds of the church of God. You just shepherd these sheep. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. You are in danger. Even from your own number men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples of So be on your guard. Now look, this is not everything that the Bible's got to say on church leadership, but my goodness, this is one of the most important. This is spiritually life-threatening. Do you know what a wolf can do to a sheep? I actually, um, I Googled it this morning, actually. I thought I'd better have a look. A YouTube video came up. I was actually thinking of playing it here on the things here. I, I but I wouldn't put you. It was brutal. It was devastating, and it was a life thing of this family. they like, I don't know, traveling, and the shepherd was nowhere to be seen. And there was this flock of sheep. This wolf came out of nowhere and just took out one of these sheep so quickly, just like one bite into its neck, and he's like just flat, you know, flat on the ground, probably playing dead. But then the wolf just like draws it away up the hill and away from the rest of the flock. And this happened in like the space of like 20 seconds. It was brutal, it was devastating. That is the image that Paul uses for when distortions of biblical truth enter the church. We're not talking about outright lies. Distortions of the truth about Jesus Christ. I mean, do we realize it's that serious and that dangerous? And what are some of the distortions that might be in the church already? The walls that are already here lockdown has shown us that we can do church online and we can actually reach more people this way we don't need to meet in person anymore christianity is primarily about a relationship between jesus and yourself what you need corporately you can get online that is a wolf speaking that is a distortion of the truth that will draw disciples away from Jesus Christ because we desperately need to be members of the body of Christ together in person. Do not be taken in by it. Yes, the Bible is authored by people inspired by the Holy Spirit and so this is the word of God, but that was for them. That was for a specific time in history. And we now live in 21st century London, and things have moved on, particularly around issues of human gender and and sexuality. And so we need to be very attentive to what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to us today. That is a wolf speaking. That is a distortion of the truth that will draw disciples away from Jesus Christ. Because these words are living and active today. And the Holy Spirit of God speaks through these words that were written down back then. And it is everything we need to know about life and godliness and gender and sexuality. Do not be taken in by it. And it is one of my God-given responsibilities to protect you from these distortions. And of course, it's not all down to me. We have a staff team, we have a leadership team, we've got Inspire Group leaders. It is my prayer that every member of ISJ can detect these distortions of the biblical truth for yourselves. So let's help each other with this. Let's be a church that protects one another from biblical distortions as seriously and as urgently as a shepherd protects sheep from wolves. Do we see how serious and dangerous this is? I'm conscious that this is all a tall order, right? Be more Christ-like, point one. Be more dependent on the Spirit, point two. Be more protective of biblical truth, point three. And by the way, you're to do all this even if you face prisons and hardships. So if you came to church this morning feeling pretty weak and down in the Christian faith, you're probably feeling even worse right now with all the stuff that we've got to do. If that's you, before we close, let me draw our attention to verse 35 and the words of Jesus himself that Paul quotes here. The last thing we're going to see. Verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Ministry in all its forms, in which we are all a part of, it is hard work. So how do we keep giving to our friends, our family, our colleagues, despite all the knockbacks, despite the cost to our reputation? How do we keep giving to each other here at church? when we're feeling tired, worn out, not feeling it, can't be bothered. How do we keep helping the weak when we feel so weak? By remembering Jesus' words that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That there is actually more joy more satisfaction, more sense of purpose to be found in giving than receiving. Now you say, "Really? I mean, is that really true?" Jesus? I mean, that is just so countercultural. I'm a child of the '80s. Gordon Gecko, greed is good. It's about all about you and what you get. This is the opposite. I need more. Please, will you prove this to me, Jesus. He did prove it to us. the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated tears of blood at the prospect of the cross, what it would mean to humble himself to death for the sins of the whole world, to drink the cup of his father's wrath for all the times that we are selfish and proud and we take and we take and we take with very little recognition or thanks to God. Jesus didn't have to die. He lived a perfect life. Jesus could have served himself, saved himself, left us to pay for our sins ourselves. He didn't. Why? Because he truly believed that it is more blessed to give than to receive. To the extent that he gave his own life, he gave everything for you and for me to pay the penalty of all our sin so we can be forgiven by God, receive forgiveness, receive the Spirit, have a relationship with God restored and then show that same love and forgiveness out to others. Believe it, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This takes us to the very heart of God himself. This takes us to the heart of how God's kingdom advances. Believe it, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So let's serve the Lord with great humility and tears. Let's be reliant on the Spirit. Let's protect one another from distortions of biblical truth. And let's keep calling people to repentance, to faith in Jesus, no matter what comes our way. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you very much for all that you've been showing us and teaching us and training us in through the, the book of Acts. And today, as we see uniquely this message of Paul to a Christian audience and to the elders, we thank and praise you for Paul's life and ministry. We pray for, thank and praise you for his reliance on the Spirit and how we long um, to be these trustworthy members of the church, trustworthy leaders. Please, Father, would you help us to practice what we preach? Would you please grow in us an increasing servant heart and humility and dependence on you? a desire to call people back to you in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Please, would we be a church that takes seriously this image of the shepherd and sheep and wolves. Please protect us from this spiritual danger. Help us to better identify distortions to truth. And above all, would you set our eyes on the Lord Jesus himself who gave everything for us on the cross that we may truly believe it's more blessed to give than to receive and so be motivated to live these lives to your glory, and we ask it for Jesus' sake, amen.